Welcome to the latest in our series of Financial Wellbeing Podcasts. My name's David Lloyd. Um, I am a writer, broadcaster, occasional actor, um, man of many talents. Uh, <laughs> some we'll of the them, judge of that. Yes, some <laughs> of them not very clearly defined. <laughs> and I'm here with the other voice you can hear, uh, Chris Budd. Chris, who are you? Good morning. Um, my name is Chris Budd and I wrote the Financial Wellbeing book and a few other books as well, one of which is currently available. If I can give that a quick plug, Manners from Heaven on Amazon. Um, I, think I believe even though it says sold out on Amazon, yeah. it actually isn't, isn't that right? I had a couple of tweets today saying people, they've, they've started to arrive, so that's very exciting. And a few people got them on Kindle and read them over Christmas and got very good reviews, so I'm very pleased about the, how, that's, how that's going. Excellent. Anyway, we're not here, surprisingly, to plug Chris's latest novel, brilliant though I'm sure it is. Uh, why are we here today, Chris? We are going to have a look um, at behind the scenes of fundraising. Last podcast, we looked at some of the principles of philanthropy and of giving and how giving increases well-being. And uh, this is a follow on from that. We thought we'd see how charities actually put this into practice in taking these principles and using them to help people get the most out of their giving. Uh, so who have you spoken to? Anyone specific? Yeah, we've got two people we're going to hear from. Uh, I've spoken to Oxfam, a charity I'm sure everybody knows, and also to a local charity here in Bristol called the Jesse May Trust. Um, we'll hear more about what they do, but they're an amazing trust that help um, kids who have terminal illness and are unable to leave their homes, and that's amazing work that they do. As you mentioned earlier, I know we've talked about this before, but would it be worth at this point reminding ourselves what the basic principles of uh, charitable giving are, Chris? Yeah, sure. So there's a, a few a few things to bear in mind. Um, we want giving to increase our well-being, and so it's good that our giving comes from uh, a feeling of joy rather than a feeling of guilt. So uh, giving to somebody on the street as a moment of guilt isn't going to increase our well-being a great deal. Might do some good, but it's not going to increase our well-being. Whereas more planned giving uh, is going to be much more helpful. Also, seeing the effect of your giving. So this is something that uh, the charities think about a lot, is how they can help people engage with the uh, charity and what they, what they do. So that's a particularly interesting one. The Jesse May conversation has some interesting points around giving for happiness and positivity rather than making people feel guilty to give. Um, so will that be an interesting point that we'll hear from in there. A good example of fundraising um, that personally I'm not very keen on is chugging. Chugging now it sounds well I can't really say what it sounds like <laughs> not on a family broadcast what uh, what is then it chugging what's chugging Chris do tell. Chugging uh, the word comes from charity and mugging so it's charity mugging it's when you're walking down the street and somebody from a charity walks up to you usually a student who's desperate for a part-time job and they kind of stop you in the street, they act really friendly and they try and engage you in conversation. Oh, I hate that. You know, I recognise that quite often it's for a very good cause. So I always try and be polite to them, but I'm also try to be make it clear that I'm not interested. So I try and be firmly polite. Mm -hmm. So I have a form of words which is something like, look, thanks very much for taking the time to stop and talk to me. And I appreciate you've got a job to do. But actually, I have to tell you that, you know, my charitable giving is already all sorted out. 
and I'm not interested, but thanks very much anyway. That normally does the trick. Mm. Uh, the thing is, it's not their fault, the, no. the person on the street. But I'm personally, I just wish charities wouldn't even put them in that position mm. um, because they're bothering people, they're annoying people, and that's not a good way to help great well-being from giving. It's, it's not easy raising money for charity. There's a lot of really good causes who desperately need money, and fundraising is a really tricky thing. So let's hear what they've got to say in our, in our chat in a moment. Yeah, but before we do, uh, as ever, we've got a few tweets. We still haven't come up with a name for this section, have we? We're still waiting to hear your ideas for this section. Um, otherwise, we're going to have to make one up ourselves. <laughs> and I can promise you that some of the names we've come up with... That uh, might not go well. <laughs> terrifying. So, tweets from other independent <laughs> financial advisors. David Penny... Uh, he makes a good point about taking out protection, perhaps life assurance. Uh, his Twitter handle is at DavidPenny10, Penny with an E, so P-E-N-N-E-Y. And his advice is insure against financial catastrophes, no matter how small the risk seems. Don't over-insure. If it wouldn't be a catastrophe, then the insurance is a luxury. Your comments, Chris, on that? Yeah, I think that's very wise words. Um it's very easy to think that life assurance is expensive. It isn't. It can be very, very cheap. It can be very easy to think that um, we need lots of life assurance. Actually, we don't. You need the right amount of life assurance, whatever that might be. And we talk about that a bit in the Financial Wellbeing book um, about how to calculate the right amount of life assurance. Other insurances as well. Um, but I think that's a good way of judging it. You know, if you think that uh, if a payout would put you in a position of luxury, you've probably got too much insurance. Yeah. And touching on that slightly is uh, uh, Phil Billingham at Phil Billingham. Save more, spend less, make a will, insure the breadwinners. If you do, you'll never be poor. That's great advice, actually. That could be Dickens, it? couldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> There's also one from Nick SDD1, who's not an IFA, but it was such a great line, I thought we would read it out. He said, always remember, it's only a bargain if you actually need it, which I think is a great line. And it reminds me of a cartoon um, back in the 80s uh, of a kind of Andy Cap style cartoon where... The husband is sitting reading his paper and um, the wife comes in laden with shopping bags and says, I've saved 50 quid today. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Good advice as ever from all you IFAs out there. Keep them coming in. Um, there'll be full details on the website address and our Twitter handle at the end of this podcast. So um, who are we going to hear from first, Chris? First, I spoke to Edward Thomas of Oxfam. Uh, he deals with some very wealthy people, and so he's got some interesting stories and some fun stories to tell us about how they engage with their wealthy donors. I must warn you, the sound quality isn't great. I spoke to him over the telephone, but hopefully there'll be enough in here that will make an interesting uh, conversation. So let's have a listen to my chat with Edward Thomas of Oxfam. My name's Edward Thomas. I work for Oxfam and I work in the fundraising uh, department and specifically I work in what they euphemistically call philanthropy and partnerships and that comprises of fundraisers whose sole purpose is to fundraise from businesses, from high net worth individuals and from trusts and foundations like the Wellcome Trust or the Cadbury Trust, some of the famous ones ones like that, or some just have trusts and foundations as tax-efficient mechanisms to give away give away their money. Um, so you're dealing with some pretty wealthy people at times, or at least the trusts thereof. Yeah, no, absolutely. So we're dealing with high net worth individuals, obviously, whose time is really, really scarce. And sometimes they just forget which which causes they support so there's <laughs> this this one time we had this this major donor this lady who's sort of married to this 
really, really successful businessman. And they sort of planned to give her a six-figure gift. And they said they would, and it never turned up. She finally came to this event. And, you know, the lady was um, like, oh, yeah, so delighted we're supporting this project. And our chief exec had to kind of of nudge her and say no you're not <laughs> much to her much to her embarrassment she was like oh um we'll have to get the check out then <laughs> well good on your chief executive for having the balls to say something yeah, absolutely absolutely in many instances um dealing with their proxies because wealthy people or very wealthy people often pay people quite a bit of money to keep <laughs> fundraisers away from them <laughs> um, I uh, happened to bump into the chair of um, quite a large foundation at an event a few months ago. And as soon as he saw that I was a fundraiser, he almost took a step back because uh, <laughs> it's one one thing being wealthy and people asking for your money or something, you know, to invest in some crazy idea. That then it's another thing if they, they know you give away money. And then the kind of the number of asks uh, increases dramatically. So you have to sort of a develop a thick skin because you're going to a lot of people are going to say no to you. But also you have to develop a kind of it's a it's a much softer, softer approach um, and it's much more relationship based. And nine times out of ten, we're not actually dealing directly with the high net worth individual. We're dealing with their their, their intermediaries. So that's kind of a large part of large part of my work. I do remember. Um probably back in the 80s, yeah. reading about, a, 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 well, there wasn't a lottery then, the Littlewoods Pools probably would have been yeah. winner, and uh, they were inundated with begging letters, you know, for a few days afterwards. Yeah. Is that, that That's not you, is it? No, that, that, that's <laughs> not us. I mean, you know, there, that was kind of 10, 15, 20 years ago, that was the was the approach. You'd get a, a list of, of foundations, and you'd kind of send them send them a letter with your annual report, and they'd, they'd read it at the trustee meeting, and then kind of go, who are we going to give money to, money to that Oxfam, we've heard them in the in in the news. Um, we'll send them a, we'll send them a check, and obviously things things have moved on quite a bit from them. One thing, donors have become much more educated, um, which is which is fantastic, and also there's a lot more wealth about. And so the other part of the department name for Lantern Bean Partnerships is is sort of really key because it's about partnership, um, because the people with a lot of money they want to get involved. They want to you know they've got views about how to make the world a better place, and it's good to be sort of challenged by them as well because they're saying to us why aren't you doing this or why aren't you doing why are you doing that and we've got to go back to our technical people and go have you thought about this and last, last, last part of my work recently has been about moving into the sort of impact investing space so that's kind of for a charity it's kind of you know real change of pace from giving you know us when we get money we give it away to get things done but this is about creating mechanisms where people are building businesses out in in developing nations to generate a financial a financial return and social impact and there's you, you go back to something like live aid which was in many ways the start of philanthropy on a big scale i think um and i don't know if i believe all the statistics but you read stuff about how little money actually ended up doing any good on the ground and i guess there's a lot of worry from philanthropists about that is then you have to prove you're doing good is that what you mean by impact investing Oh yeah, no, absolutely. They will kind of dig deep into kind of okay. Well, how do, you're saying you've you've helped X number of people? How do you know that you've done that? Um, that's kind of a big part of our kind of monitoring and evaluation work. And people who are investing heavily into our programs will ask to go see those programs. And if they do not see the change they expect they'll stop investing. They'll redirect their investments elsewhere. That, that's not a bad thing, is it? Oh I no, suppose. no, no, absolutely. It holds the charity to account. Oh no, no, completely, completely. But at the 
same time we hear all the time from donors that you know you give give us too too much information you're not boiling down the information that we need need to make our decisions because we've got you know say a lot of our works in say water and sanitation and you know i spend a lot of time turning the jargon of water engineers into plain language and even then they're saying to me less you know less information let's bring it down to what you know what change have you made and we talk about sustainability um but how do you measure that sustainability because that's the, the sort of change that we all want. Uh, we, you know, we've sort of moved away from trying to sort of give that sort of sticking plaster stuff. We want the change that will will last. And in some of these fragile contexts, that's really hard. Yeah, that's 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 your job. That's your skill, presumably yeah. communicating complicated yeah. ideas in a simple way. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the big name recently in all of this, of course, was Mark Zuckerberg and his very high-profile announcement really in the world of disease. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Yeah, so, well, first, when he set up the foundation, um, comments came out that really it was a, a device for wealth protection. But um, whether or not he, you know, if he commits to, you know, giving away as much of his uh, wealth as Bill Gates or Soros or Warren Buffett, absolutely fantastic. I would suggest, suggest that the, the goal that he set himself is perhaps billionaire one up upmanship for <laughs> other billionaires in other billionaires in Silicon Valley and that's a key and you know with with the sort of people we're dealing with ego plays a big factor into it as well they've they've done things and been important in um, you know the world of business and maybe that world is you know they're moving on from that world a little bit but they still want to flex their muscles amongst their peers in, in other ways and so you'll find that as executives to become become chairman they often kind of move into the world of philanthropy and they see their friends also in philanthropy and you know the the kind of ego battle begins really that definitely that definitely happens so can we expect uh, another i don't know the owner of twitter i don't know i don't know who these people are yeah. but the next big wealthy guy I, I will eradicate all unhappiness is that gonna be the next one dude where does this end well <laughs> you, you, one can only hope one can only hope these are the sorts of these are the sorts of things that kind of really can make make a difference and if you if you look back at the sort of the the history of some of the big foundations in america it's like the rockefeller foundation still a massive foundation he was one of the wealthiest guys in the world and he just decided to to give it away and do some good if anything we don't have enough of that um in this kind of day where you've you've such uh, such massive amounts of wealth have been been created by quite a small number of the population some of the oligarchs maybe could, could loosen their purse strings a bit couldn't they? yeah that might that might be a bit of a <laughs> bit of a challenge particularly in somewhere like you know china where philanthropy is viewed very differently but where a huge amount um, where a huge amount of wealth has been generated you know the, the um, the culture of giving is just not not the same as it is in the kind of the Anglo-Saxon world. And we in the UK think we're quite good givers, but in comparison to into the US, we're not. We don't really give at the same level as they do at all. So in the league table, then yeah. uh, who are the best givers? Um, well, the the Americans seem to be the ones at, at an individual level where you get wealthy people. It's quite common for them to give 10% away of their income. And it's the large, large part of that is still the kind of really traditional tithing, the 10% type element where you give 10% away and that culture is maintained. And also that this is reinforced because they're giving 
tends to be much more public and therefore the kind of the herd mentality starts to kick in because if you're a wealthy person and you know the person on your table's just spent ten thousand dollars on a some auction item then for charity then you're you're going to be encouraged to do so whereas in the uk it seems to be a little bit more it's a little bit less public one of the principles of charitable giving that I've come across is that you get more well-being from it if you give to something in which you have a personal involvement mm. or have had have been affected by in the past. Um, presumably, that's something that you play on. Yeah, absolutely. And also represents a bit of a challenge with um, the majority of our work being overseas, communicating the context, the challenges that people face. But that's the real challenge uh, to kind of communicate that, that shared humanity. Top man. Edward. Thanks ever so much. Bye. Oh, interesting stuff from Edward there. Uh, one thing that struck me is this, one of these phrases that really irritates me. High net worth individuals. He means rich people. He does, but the definition of high net worth, there's high net worth, there's ultra high net worth. There's probably a mega ultra high net worth as well somewhere. <laughs> but, but he certainly seems to be mixing in those circles, doesn't he? Yeah, some very interesting people. And the word that came comes through overall for all that is partnerships. Mm. Um, talking about impact investing, talking about showing how you've helped people because these wealthy philanthropists who are giving a lot of money, they want to see that their money is doing good. And it's interesting, he talks, doesn't he, about, about ego playing a big part in philanthropy, particularly amongst the uh, high net worth individuals. You contrast that with, you know, the sad news of George Michael, of course, who died uh, recently, and it turned out that actually he was a massive giver, but he, he chose to do it privately. Yeah. And I'm sure there are a lot of other people like George as well who just give money in a quiet way and keep the wheels ticking over. And the other thing that struck me as well was that uh, about how charitable giving can be a reflection of your national characteristic. So the Americans, who are far more outgoing than us, say, hey, yeah, they're very happy to talk about money. So they'll happily talk about how much they earn and about how much they give away as well. Um, whereas we Brits, who are a lot more reticent about that, would probably prefer, usually, to be a little bit more private about it. And yet, the irony is, if we were a bit more public, if George Michael had made some of these things public, other pop stars might have made more donations to try and keep up with him. That's right, that's right. And Crazy game, isn't it? <laughs> this is the stuff these fundraisers have to work out. You know, uh, what is the best way to encourage people to give more? Because all they want at the end of the day is for more money to be given to their charity. Right, so having heard from Edward and his work with corporate fundraising, which is largely what that was, who are we going to hear from next? Next, I spoke with Julian Withers from the charity Jessie May. They're an amazing charity. They put nurses in to help people who have got children who are terminally ill. Now, we're talking kids who can't even get out of bed, let alone leave the house. So this is pretty um, heavy stuff at times. But what they do is really hugely helpful to people to give them some respite, some help, and to bring a bit of joy into these kids' lives. So let's have a listen to me talking to Julian Withers. So we heard from Oxfam, Julian. Uh, the Jesse May Trust is much more of a Bristol-centric charity, I believe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tell us about your fundraising experiences. Because we are local, we actually seem to just get an awful lot of local support across the corporate sector. Whilst we do have one or two very sort of large relationships, corporate relationships, actually where our bread and butter really lies is actually in asking lots of small, smaller companies, small SMEs and individuals to do lots of little things for us. For example, that can be trying to build up our, our um, committed giving 
Um, and actually, we just ask for a small amount of, uh, of money every month from people. And that way, it just keeps the sustainability coming. And we're able to sort of plan ahead, be able to use that. I think probably one of the big things that we try and do, um, which we try and do with all our supporters, whether they're corporate or individual, is try and make it as personal as we as we possibly can. For example, you know, we don't have a massive building or anything to be able to show people, so you can't physically see or touch what we what we do. Our caseload constantly changes, but the things that do stay constant are actually the Jesse May nurses. So what we try and do is we try and introduce as many of our supporters to our Jesse May nurses. And that way they really feel that they have a, a little bit of ownership over their Jesse May nurse. Quite quite often the nurse will come out with me on a on a talk or if we go to you know go meet go meet a supporter to actually just make it personal because they can talk so much more beautifully at first hand about the experiences that they have and actually then make the person feel that they are actually making a huge difference to what we do. So it's a very different sort of more personalized approach that we take but we think it we think it works because an awful lot of our supporters you know we always ask can they just come on board for a year and just support us in a small way we don't ask them for huge amounts of money and you know invariably they end up staying for two three or four years because they they like the fact that they're you know they're not pressured into it but they also feel a piece of ownership over what they are doing some of the theories of of philanthropy of giving um, mm. are things like having uh, a personal involvement with the thing that you're giving yep. to will increase the amount of well-being you get from your giving yes. um, also we talk about giving out of a in a planned way mm. gives a feeling of joy as opposed to giving out of reaction which tends to yeah. be the assuaging of guilt it sounds to yep. me like you're right in those sweet spots aren't you um, I, I like to I like to think that we inspire people into giving rather than actually guilt them into into giving. I think it's very easy for charities, particularly ones you know most charities deal with something that's sort of very pertinent to some to somebody and it's very easy to tug at the heartstrings you know we, we care for 140 children and families at the moment of various stages of, of life and and post bereavement and it, it's very easy to for us to tell those stories and we do tell them and it's what we do it's what we do best but actually it's about the positives of what we do rather than rather than the negatives you know i have been i have been at talks where you know somebody will get up in front of a room full of people over dinner and thank them for their donation and then say and we deal in death and dying well yes we do jesse that you know jesse may do do that but actually what we do is actually one of our lines is is about actually making everyday precious and whilst we do that and we're there for the, for the end of life aspect and to provide the care and to provide the respite for parents actually what it is about is actually helping families make the very best of the time that they have you know i think people feel better about giving when they're inspired to give and what the positive effect that their money can do rather than actually being guilted into it. Yeah, I think that's that's very true. Um, I've been to a few um, presentations and dinners and, and um, you guys, Jesse May Trust, kindly came to one of Ovation, my company's events, and you said, mm. we're going to show you a video and I can't lie for a moment, my heart sank. 
as I thought, oh no, I'm going to watch something awful. <laughs> and actually, yeah. we saw the video of Joe. So tell us about Joe, because he was great. Oh, oh Joe, he's a, he's a little boy with a big character. He's he's brilliant. He's he's actually um, one of about two, three children on our caseload who can actually walk and talk. But he comes in and you just know he's in the room from the point he's, he's in there. He can tell his own story. And he is just absolutely brilliant. I mean, uh, we have been supported by Children in Need in the past. And I think it was Children in Need 2014. Uh, they made a film about the work of Andy, our Jesse May nurse, uh, and his work with Joe. That film on the night, because it was so positive and so different, um, it actually triggered more donations to Children in Need on that night than any of the other films shown. And a lot of the other films, you know, that I saw and I stayed up till, till I probably shouldn't have, uh, watching it, you know, were very much the tug at the heartstrings and, and everything else. And actually this showed Joe doing stuff that actually other little boys do every single day, but he can't do it in quite the same way because his condition can change very, very quickly. So he still needs the support of the nurse, but it was all about Andy, his nurse, taking him to the park and playing Harry Potter with him and uh, that sort of thing. It's a wonderful video. It's a wonderful little clip. And, yeah. Uh, in fact, obviously this is, this is a podcast, so we can't show videos, but if people yeah. want to go to YouTube and they type in Jesse May Joe, then you'll see Joe's story told by Martin Friedman, which I think is the video in question, isn't it? Yeah, uh, that's, and it's that's absolutely it. Absolutely brilliant. wonderful. 42,000 views. It should be 42 million. It's absolutely wonderful video. <laughs> <laughs> it's really made us think how we approach this in the in the future. There will always be the need to react to sort of things that are going on in going on in the world. You know, we don't know what's going to happen in terms of funding for palliative care, and we will always need to react to that. But I think going forward, we can do that far more positively because feeling good about what you do and what you give, you know, however much money it happens to be, actually keeps the longevity of that support. And, you know, as long as we do our part and report back on the difference that each person has made, then actually that's half the battle. And if those people then understand the difference that they have made, hopefully they will want to support us again. And the thing goes both ways because it means that people are giving money and they are getting well-being and happiness from their giving, which should be the point mm. of the exercise all round. So it's win-win, isn't yeah. it? Absolutely. It's, it's, quite, it's quite difficult for us as an organisation because we can't take our supporters into people's homes and so on. But we had a very prominent businessman come to see us and we took him round and we were actually on one of our respite days where we bring our families to us. And he just had a look around and was just so awe-inspired by what he saw, you know, the individual care that went in and actually the detail that went into every single thing that we did. And uh, we took him back up to the office for some tea and cake. And he just said, I'm going to support you. And, you know, that relationship still goes on today just because of what he actually saw that day. And sometimes, you know, I could stand there and talk to people secondhand till I'm blue in the face. There's nobody that can actually do it better than either our families or actually seeing firsthand what we do. The chances for us to do that, though, are very few and far between because, you know, we can't start taking every single support around people's homes. Equally, we have some people who just are so moved when they hear about what we do. And there are two opposite ends of the scale. We, we were at an event recently where there was 
a whole load of very prominent businessmen, but there was also a guy who was being supported by another charity that was that was being supported. Um, Lindsay, one of our um, fundraisers, walked up to this guy and he just said, I haven't got any money whatsoever, he said. Uh, and sadly, this guy had also been a recent victim of crime and it quite literally left him with nothing. And Lindsay's just started talking to him, telling him, you know, telling about what she said, but that's okay. I don't want your money. I just want to be able to tell somebody. And he reached into his pocket and he said, you can have my lucky 2p. And he put that into Lindsay's bucket. And Lindsay had to go away and have a, have a little tear to herself. And, you know, when you hear that, you just think, oh, <laughs> you know, it's enough to make a tear all down the cheek. Yeah. Fantastic. That's absolutely amazing. Thank you. Fascinating stuff there from Julian. I have to declare an interest here, actually. When I worked at uh, Bristol City Football Club as supporter liaison officer, one year we had Jesse May as our um, club charity. Um, So I did have a bit of an association with them at that time and saw some of the work that they did. Which is fantastic, isn't it? It is is absolutely brilliant. I'm I'm always rather humbled, actually, by organisations like Jesse May that, that work with those you know, kids with seriously life-limiting illnesses or indeed the families of kids that have recently died. And, and I just think they do a fantastic work. One thing which I think we both picked up there, he talked about uh, inspiring into giving. I think that's a great phrase. Yeah, absolutely. You, um, I'm pretty sure, are old enough to remember Live Aid. Oh, yes. Live Aid started uh, all sorts of things, really. It was a, it was a game changer, wasn't it, um, in, in the world of, of, of philanthropy and giving. But on that day, there was almost hysteria of giving. I remember one couple um, had just got married and they were going to buy a house and instead used the something like £50,000 that they were going to buy a house and gave that to Live Aid. There was a, a, a talk about inspiring giving, you know, what happened that day inspired huge amounts of things. So, yeah, I think that's great. And, and that's a, a, a source of joy, not a source of guilt, which is a really good point for, for philanthropy. Well, and indeed, the well-being that we're always talking about, that, that joy that you get from from doing something which you know is a, a good thing to have done. And, and it makes a difference as well. And I think that's clearly what they believe is, is fundamental to the work that they do. They make a difference. And it's possible, do you think, Chris, for us at a personal level, to feel that we're making a difference in our financial, the way we handle our financial affairs? Absolutely. And one of the important points here, it doesn't have to be money. It can be time. Uh, staff at Ovation decided that we were going to have Jesse May as our Charity of the Year. A really good thing for companies to do, actually, to have a Charity of the Year. Really strongly recommend it. And one of the things that we do is half a day a week, one of our members of staff goes into their office and does some admin work. I've done that myself. I spent half a day putting in pieces of paper into a binder. Um, but while there, you got to listen to the nurses speaking to some of the parents. And you got a real insight for what they did and got a real feedback from some help that you were giving. It was a, a really good experience, and I recommend all any business, especially small companies, um, to find a local charity that you can properly get involved with. Great, and if you're not a business and you're just an individual, obviously, and you're looking to do something with your money that makes you feel better, then the Jesse May Trust is a classic example of the sort of things that you can be doing. And there's just one last thing that I'd like to mention before we move off this subject of philanthropy, which is, of course, the Penny Braun Cancer Centre, who receive all the proceeds of the Financial Wellbeing book. Uh, If anybody wants to go and check out their work, they're an amazing charity, um, all about helping people who have got cancer to live well with cancer. Um, Because 
I think most people at some point in their life will be touched by cancer, either themselves or a loved one, and we have to live with it. And how to live well with it is a really big thing, and the work that they do around that is really, really interesting stuff. So please do check them out as well. And without going into a whole long list of very deserving charities, I think the point we're trying to make here is that philanthropy, if it's done in the right way, can make you feel good about money. I would agree with that. And I think on that uh, point, we can uh, wrap things up. Remember to keep sending us in your ideas. Uh, you'll get all of the uh, ways that you can contribute coming at the end of this podcast. But for now, that's a goodbye from Chris. And hand over to Julie. If you want to be notified of upcoming podcasts, make sure you click the subscribe button. For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast and to purchase a copy of the Financial Wellbeing book, please visit www.financialwell-being.co.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas on financial well-being. You can send us an email at contact at financialwell-being.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at FinWellbeing. Chris is Ovation Chris, and David is at David underscore Backwell. This has been an Ovation Finance production. Thanks for listening to the Financial Wellbeing Podcast. More interesting than you might think. It's fun to charter an accountant and sail the wide accountancy, to find, explore the funds offshore and skirt the shoals of bankruptcy.